Hey everyone, my name is Jack Graver, and this is Episodes to a Healthy You. Whether you take part in sports recreationally or you're a competitive athlete, even the smallest change in your diet can make a noticeable difference in your performance and recovery. In this episode, Aaron and I spoke with Don Holmes, a registered dietitian and certified specialist in sports dietetics with Ohio Health. We discussed nutrition recommendations for training outside, tips that often get overlooked when trying to improve performance, the craze around supplements, and much more. This was such an educational conversation. Aaron and I even got to ask Don some of our personal sports nutrition questions that you won't want to miss. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, joining me is Aaron, and then, of course, we have Don on the podcast today. So welcome, everyone. Hi. Thank you. All right, so Don is a sports nutritionist. We have had regular nutritionists on the podcast. What kind of separates your job description from just a traditional dietitian? That is a great question. As a dietitian, we have the credentials RDN, so registered dietitian nutritionist. And so our preferred title is dietitian. And so if you're working with a dietitian, you know that they've done their internship, 900 to 1,000 hours, they've taken their exam, they know their stuff. And then for me, I went on to pursue sports nutrition because it's such an interest of mine. And to do that, I went on, I got my master's in applied physiology and nutrition at Columbia Teachers College. I did 1,500 hours of specialty practice working with athletes individually or speaking to teams. And then once those hours and degree were completed, I was able to take an exam and obtain the CSSD certification, so Certified Specialist in Sports Dietetics. It's a relatively new certification probably in the last 15 years. So every five years, you repeat those 1,500 hours of working with athletes and the exam. I just completed my third iteration of that in February, so I feel fresh and up-to-date on the most recent sports nutrition evidence-based practices. Wow. I think a lot of people don't know how much schooling and like specialty hours and non-specialty hours that dietitians have to go through, but it really is a rigorous program for any, whether you're a specialty or not. Correct. Yes. So the internship is both clinical, inpatient, it's community, working with public health, it's food service, and then all these other sort of, you know, if you're interested in sports, you can do a sports specific or a whole variety of other areas that you could be practicing in. So they are the nutrition experts, and you should, if you're seeking advice on what to eat, they would be the people who would be able to guide you the best because they understand how your body works, metabolism, all the different possible medical conditions that you may have. And as a sports dietitian, I understand when you are training, competing, how to fuel your body before, during, and after that activity but also to make sure you're getting enough to eat just day to day. Because as an athlete, if you don't have enough food on board, your body doesn't have enough energy to perform, recover, and then to continue to perform well. How did you get into sports nutrition? What was it, the passion you just followed? How exactly did you switch over and specifically do sports? Sure, such a great question. So I feel like we could do a whole podcast on just 
why I love sports nutrition. My <laughs> background, <laughs> my background is I ran track and cross country in high school. And I think everyone who is an athlete or does some athletic endeavor has had some sort of experience with eating and then trying to exercise. And so I did, I had an experience in high school where I ate too close to my four by eight relay. I didn't know I was running and I got sick afterwards. I threw up. So that told me, you know, you don't eat before you run. Well, that doesn't work very well when it's hours into a track meet and you're running a different event. And then I ran that in college and passed out. So it was sort of this one experience. And then I extrapolated that to like, you don't eat before you run, which is not a good idea. And so I wanted to be able to help athletes learn how to eat around their training and competition so that all their hard work with training doesn't get sabotaged by fueling mistakes. And these aren't really complicated interventions that we're trying to do. It's just figuring out for your body what type of food and what timing works best. But generally, we need to eat within 30 minutes to an hour before you're doing any kind of training. I also had experiences in high school where I was underfueled, not intentionally, but I ended up with a stress fracture and so spent a big chunk of that season training in the pool. So pool jogging, aqua jogging. <laughs> and I missed, I missed my team. Thankfully, it was good conditioning. I came back. I was able to compete really well. But it wasn't until I was in college that I learned how to fuel, how to eat before practice. So pretzels work really well. And I was able to go on and break our school record in the 1500. So it sort of was a culmination of, look, I figured it out to an extent. But then I went on to pursue this area of study because I realized I wanted to learn more. And then it wasn't until I was working with a dietitian who was pregnant that I learned snacks are super important. <laughs> <laughs> and snacking is a really great way to make sure you're getting enough fuel. Yeah. One thing I've done a lot of like running in the past. And yes. like, one thing I know is like every little detail can kind of mess up your run or make it good or bad. And you kind of learn what foods cooperate with you more and even something small as like hydration makes a huge difference too. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. Like, I've seen people after long distance runs, they, they're like, I can eat a pizza. I can refuel on carbs and all that. What is your take on that? Can you just eat anything after a run or do you promote healthier options? So, I mean, ideally your body is really kind of like a sponge. It's primed to absorb carbs and protein and fluids. And so we want to get, I mean, if we can get the good stuff in first, great. And then you can enjoy your other foods. So ideally we're shooting for about double the carbs to protein. So generally protein is around 15 to 30 grams after a workout. So double that for carbs. So 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate because we'll kind of jump into some recovery nutrition. So after a workout, you have muscle damage and you have glycogen depletion. So we need that protein. Everyone knows you need that protein to muscle rebuild and repair, but we need the carbs to refuel the muscle. So we can store carbs in our muscle as glycogen. And so it is like a quick snapping my fingers. It is a quick energy source for that muscle when you're exercising. The more carbs you have on board, 
the longer and harder you can go before you fatigue. And so when we pair those together after a workout, it actually helps the protein to be more effective at its job. So often protein is sort of idolized and carbs are villainized. And so it's really hard to find a protein shake that has carbs in it. Gatorade has a recovery shake, which has the perfect balance of carbs and protein. But if we don't put carbs in, then your protein has to kind of do double duty. Yeah, you need me to rebuild and repair, but you also need me to refuel. And so you're kind of making the protein less effective. Yeah, that's Um, really cool. I never thought about the protein and the carbs. Like you said, we've always seen protein, protein, protein after the workout, but that's great that you mentioned the carbs too. Yes. So I think get that in, get your hydration in, and then sure, if you don't have a heavy workout the next day, if it's a lighter day, yeah, enjoy what you want to enjoy. Same thing with alcohol, like get the food in, get the regular like recovery in, and then if you want to have a drink, go for it. I think that's such a really great way of eating in general, like not just for nutrition for sports, but just kind of get what your body needs first, get the nutrients that your body needs to function its best, and then you can have fun with whatever else that you would like to eat. Yeah, so I will confess that I don't love vegetables, but (laughs) if I can get them in earlier in the day, like my morning snack with lunch, then there's not as much pressure to have a bunch at dinner. And I learned this from a fellow colleague when I was in grad school. He's like, I front load my vegetables so I can have fun at the end of the day. I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's exactly how I am too. I like to try to front load my day with all of the nutrients I know that's going to make my body feel great. That way, if I get to the end of the day and I'm busy or tired or I just don't have time, I don't have to worry about making a big batch of vegetables because I've got some. And so if I just have a little bit of vegetables and a Mm -hmm. little bit of other stuff that I'm good. And I think it may be important for sport nutrition training that you kind of have to look right. at nutrition for the whole day, not just exactly. one meal. Yes. And we do know plants are incredibly important for overall health. There are multiple, multiple, multiple research looking at how important plants are for just blood flow, overall health, reducing cholesterol, helping to control body weight. So yes, keep them there, but they don't have to become everything. Well, and as we're moving into the spring and we're talking more and more about calf marathons and 5Ks coming up, what are some ways that you suggest that people are prepping for these events? So we just had Cap City this past weekend, kind of kicking off our spring running. So I think one of the big things I would suggest is practicing your fueling. So making sure that Throughout the course of the day, you're eating consistently. So this would be, for me, it's really important to start your day with food, which we call breakfast. And I think sometimes that's a tricky meal for folks. It doesn't have to be what you would eat at a restaurant. You don't have to make that for yourself every morning. Some people enjoy breakfast and really want to make a big deal out of it. Others are running out the door. But we want to put something in your body besides coffee or an energy drink some sort of carbon protein combo. And then every three to four hours throughout the course of the day, continue to have something where either it's carbs and protein or it's a meal and we can go into those components. But be consistently fueled so that your energy is stable throughout the course of the day. 
And then when you're doing your training, so before you go for a run or a bike, if you're doing tries, practice fueling within that hour before, try different types of foods to see what works for you so that when you get to race day, you know what's going to work. I do have a couple of follow-up questions for all of that. I yeah. am not a runner. I've said many okay. times on this podcast that running is not my thing. However, <laughs> I do strength train and weight train um, and do yes. other forms of cardio. Yeah. And I am somebody who feels better exercising fasted. So okay. I, I do not eat 30 minutes to an hour before I work out. Most of the time, I like to not eat for a couple hours before I work out just because I find that food is heavy for me. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, is that going to cause any damage for me? And if it is, what would you suggest for some really light feeling snacks that will get me through my workout? Yes. So I hear this very often. A couple thoughts are if it's a morning workout, then you have had this overnight fast and you're continuing it. And so if we can put something just light in before, it's going to really boost your blood sugar. And the reason that's important is because it's going to give fuel to your brain so that you can think clearly, so that you can tell your body how to do the different movements. It's sort of just giving your brain a wake up. So things Mm. like a handful of pretzels, a graham cracker, a mini bagel, a simple granola bar, a banana, any of those like very simple carbs. There's not a lot of work that your gut has to do. And if you do that, when you wake up, if it's sort of like roll out of bed, eat that, get dressed, go to the gym or run out the door, you should be fine. If that sounds too heavy, even just having a couple swigs of a sports drink or a couple swigs of juice where you're getting a little bit of carbs, a little bit of fluids would just be helpful to you. Awesome. If it's something where it's the end of the day, then I would still encourage within like half an hour to do something just light to top off your tank. I mean, I don't know that I'll try that, to be honest. However, <laughs> I, yeah, I love the idea of juice, though, in a sports drink, because that sounds way more up my alley than even a handful of pretzels and stuff. But, okay. Yeah, but I, yeah, I love, too, that you said that even if I'm not hungry, that I need to give my brain a wake up, because that really is what spoke to me, me and my nerdy brain, when you said, wake your brain up so that you know how to do these movements and can protect your form. Exactly. That is really what did it for me. So thank you. Sure. And I would guess, like, just be curious, like, okay, sure. Like, I'll try it. I'll see what happens. And maybe you'll be surprised. (laughs) Maybe you've made me a convert. I know I definitely (laughs) don't work out fasted. Like, if even if it's like, depending on the workout, I know how much food I want to take in. If it's a heavy compound lift day, I try to get up earlier so I can eat a decent meal before I go to the Mm -hmm. gym. But if it's something less taxing, I just have something simple before but I try yeah. to wake up earlier and give myself like a half hour, eat it, and then wait a half hour and then work out. I don't just eat it and then just immediately go work out. I like that where it's not like you're getting up hours ahead of time. You're eating something. You're giving yourself a little time before you go. And I think that's what each person needs to figure out is how much and how much time. But the recommendation is at least 30 to 60 minutes before something needs to go in, whether it's a fluid or a food just to kind of top off that brain energy. What is something that you think it's overlooked, like people are forgetting when they're prepping <laughs> for food? Is there anything else that we haven't touched <laughs> upon yet? We said vegetables, timing. I just mentioned it briefly, carbs. 
carbs are the fuel that your muscles use for exercise. And I'm the sports dietitian for the Ohio Health Runners Clinic. And I can't tell you how many times I'm meeting with runners who are training for halves or fulls. And they're like, well, I'm really trying to avoid carbs right now because they cause you to gain weight or X, Y, and Z. And it baffles me because the research over and over and over and over, that's just what our body uses as its most efficient fuel source. It's quick energy. So we have to have carbohydrates, whether you're doing strength training or you're an endurance athlete, the longer you train, the higher the intensity you train, the more carbs you need. They are essential. Of course, we want to think about the quality of them. So fruits our vegetables our whole grains, but they don't all have to be perfectly nutritious every single time you put something in your mouth, but they are foundational for athletes. Is that a really hard point to drive into people? Because people get so caught up, like, I got to lose weight to be faster so I can run. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, so let's just try a graham cracker before you go out. Or let's just try, can you put half a cup of rice with your lunch? Or can you do an open face sandwich and just see how you feel? So you're trying it. One other indication that you probably aren't eating enough carbs is that your sweet tooth is out of control. Or it just feels mm-hmm. like you can't stop those cravings. And that's your body's innate way of saying, look, I need carbs. And if I tell you I want something sweet, I'm pretty sure you'll give it to me. So if you have really strong cravings, especially at the end of the day when we're more relaxed and just want to comfort ourselves, try throwing some more carbs in earlier in the day. So whenever you're eating, make sure there's a carb there. At meals, try to include a grain as well as a protein and a vegetable and see how you feel. I have one athlete who he would sort of like a recreational, like do his training and lifting and running. But he found that his focus in the afternoon at work was much more on point after he increased his carbohydrate intake. Because remember, it's fueling your muscles and your brain. So you may not be as cranky. You may be more focused, (laughs) have better energy. Yeah, that's cool. I never thought about that. Having more healthy carbs throughout the day and it's going to decrease those unhealthy cravings later in the day. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't have those things, but if you find you're just always gravitating at three o'clock to whatever sweets are on the floor, that's probably why. So throw in, I like to call these powerful pears, throw in a snack where it's an apple and peanut butter. So you'd be like your carb with the apple and you have a peanut butter. So your protein, you pair them together and it one gives you the energy boost, but the protein helps you feel more satisfied, but it's also helping you to repair and recover from your workout. Well, kind of on the other side of that coin, where it's what's something that gets overlooked, what do people tend to put a lot of stock in that isn't as important or isn't evidence-based when it comes to their nutrition for sports? I would say supplements. Hmm. We're always looking for like, what can I do? And maybe it's me. Like, what's the easier way to do this? What's the most efficient way maybe? And so supplements are advertised all over the place. And if you follow people on Instagram or online, you're like, wow, well, look at them and look what they're taking. So if I take that, the key piece is if you have a deficiency. So if you're iron is low, which we would look at your ferritin, like an iron panel, looking at the ferritin, because that's your body's iron stores. If that's low, yes, you need a supplement. If your vitamin D is low, yes, you need a supplement. So like a multivitamin. But 
a lot of the other supplements that you would see at a supplement store or a GNC type may not necessarily enhance your performance if you don't have that foundational food piece in place. I have a really great story. So I work with a lot of high school and collegiate athletes and I had a high school athlete come in. He was a junior. Yes. And he wanted to take creatine. And he was like, look, I just get my parents off my back. I just want to take this. My brother is amazing at sports. I want to be like him. And so this is what I want to do. I was like, okay, well, let's see what you're doing right now. So we looked at his food log. I like to see, tell me what's a normal day for you. And we kind of walk through it. He wasn't eating enough. Mm. There's, if you're building something, you have to have enough supplies, right? Supply chain. We are all very familiar with that. So if you want to build muscle endurance, you need enough food so that your body has those building blocks to build more muscle. So he was eating probably half to three quarters of what he really needed if he wanted to really gain some muscle. So we added to his day. Okay, here, let's add this here. Let's put a snack in here. Let's put a little bit more with lunch. Can you drink some chocolate milk with that meal? And then you're going to have to really up your strength training. If this was a goal, he needed to put a little bit more effort in in the gym. That doesn't mean he has to be hours there, but a little bit more time under the supervision of his strength and conditioning coach or his exercise physiologist, right? Yeah. But by the end of the summer, he had gained 10 pounds and he was like, I don't think I need creatine. I said, absolutely not. You have done it all just by eating more, being strategic about when and where that happens. And you look amazing. And he said, he got lots of comments of, whoa, what have you been doing? I've been following my dietitian's plan. I don't know if he actually said that, but <laughs> I worked at the sports dietitian. She told me what to do and it worked. And I think that's such an important distinction that you made earlier that if you're eating enough, if your diet is well-rounded and balanced, you don't need supplements. And I think that you're right. People do reach for them because they're easier or they believe they're going to do this magic thing for them in their body. Mm -hmm. And that's just not necessarily the case. I mean, I know I have protein because it's easy. I have a toddler mm -hmm. and I just don't have time <laughs> to make food for myself. So protein powder is an easy fix for me to yeah. at least get something, some kind of calories mm -hmm. in my body. But yes, I love, I love that you said that you don't need it. Right. There are some supplements that could be beneficial, but not as many as we might think. The Australian Institute of Sport has a fantastic site where they rank supplements based on the evidence and efficacy of those. They have an ABCD list. So that could be a good place to go and look. But multivitamins, sports foods, sports drinks like Gatorade, Powerade, those are all on the list. Those work. We know they do. Protein powder. And with supplements, maybe we can just touch on them briefly. With supplements, they are not a medication. Mm -hmm. They have not been approved by the FDA. I know we've been through a pandemic where there's been lots of concern about safety and is it FDA approved? Is it safe for us to take? And so with supplements, they don't go through that process. They are released to market. And then if there is an adverse effect, please report it. Mm -hmm. But 
many people don't realize that there could be adverse effects. So they're released to the market and you're kind of the guinea pig. The best thing to do, how do you know it's safe? It, there's third-party testing. So that means that another company has tested the product to make sure it doesn't have any contamination or banned substances. So NSF Sport or Informed Choice are two sites that will test products. If you're an athlete who is competing and there's drug testing for the Olympics, at the collegiate level, you do not want to be tested for a banned substance and then not be able to compete. Financially too, those can get pricey. So think about if you work with a dietitian, the investment there, and maybe you don't need the whole bag of supplements that you have. For sure. Third-party testing is something that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, we know about it because we're in this kind mm -hmm. of healthcare adjacent field, Jack and I, where- yes supplements are just kind of part of the exercise world. And I know Jack is really big on this. Anytime we talk about new protein powders or new companies or anything, yes. he's, his first question is, oh, let me look and see if it's third-party tested. Yes. If you're going to put something in your body, you need to make sure that it is safe. And these things aren't regulated by the FTA. So they're not necessary. But if you're going to take supplements, do your research, be your own advocate and make sure that whatever you're putting in your body is going to be safe and healthy for you. Honestly, it is a very overwhelming area because it's constantly changing. There's constantly new products on the market. So the best bet is to talk to your dietitian, talk to someone who can help you navigate it versus the person who's trying to sell it to you. The other piece is as you look at the list of ingredients, we want to make sure that each ingredient, you have a specific amount listed. Mm. Often there's sort of the proprietary blend where it's like, you know, max energy, da, 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 da. And it tells you for all these different ingredients, how much it is. That's called a proprietary blend. It's sort of like grandma's secret cookie recipe. You don't really know what's in it, but it, it tastes really good. So Avoid those because often there's a bunch of stimulants or possible banned substances in there. Yeah, if you're going to take a supplement, know the purpose why you're taking, like truly know why <clears> you're <throat> going to be taking it. But before right. you do that, it's an expensive investment. So just look at your routine. If there's any other ways you can improve your process to get close to that goal, do that first. Yes. So next question. So it is going to get hot out. Whenever I was running, I would never run in the summer during the day. So do you have any tips for hydration, just if you're preparing for any race or just training in general this summer? So the cool thing about training is you're training your muscles, but the cool thing about fluids and food is you can train your gut. So with hydration, we want to make sure that we're drinking adequately during the day. A good rule of thumb is half of your body weight is how many ounces of fluid you should shoot for. So this works for adults, for younger athletes, try to do the eight to 10 glasses of fluid. It doesn't have to just be water. It could be milk, juice, sports drinks. Try not to make too many of them coffee. And then when you're exercising, this is in addition to that baseline hydration. So we wanna look at urine color, lemonade color versus a dark apple juice or a beer color as a kind of indication of your fluid and hydration status. So when you're exercising a couple hours before, try to get in about 16 ounces of fluids. And then while you're out there, everybody has a different sweat rate. So some of you, no matter what you do, you're just drenched. Others of you are just like glistening. Others of you have really salty, white, 
sweat marks on your clothes or you get salt in your eyes. And when you wipe your forehead, it's really gritty. So we have kind of these two pieces. We are losing water, but we're also losing sodium as our primary electrolyte and sweat. And so when we're out there, generally we want to make sure that we get some fluids in. So a good rule of thumb is around 16 to 24 ounces of fluids an hour especially as you're going to longer duration, we want to add electrolytes in there. And if you can do something with carbs, the electrolytes, the sodium and the carbohydrates all help in terms of being able to absorb that fluid better. All three of those work well together so that you're wanting to drink, it tastes good. And when you do that combination, you actually have reduced urination than if you just do plain water. So that's a bonus when you're out there for a long time. Yeah. Do we wake up dehydrated? Is that true? Is it? I mean, yes, our urine is more concentrated in the morning, but your urine production decreases during the night. So not necessarily. It's just more concentrated. So during the day, if you are more a pale yellow, you're probably fine. You don't want to yeah. drink a whole bunch before you go to bed because then you'll be waking up and have interrupted sleep. Right. Well, I believe that brings us to, Jack, your question. We each have a question for our own personal gain or, like, nerdy moment. So, do you <laughs> want to ask yours first? Yeah, so my question is, I see people do this all the time, especially, like, bodybuilders. They do protein right before bed. Is there any benefit to doing that? Actually, yes. So, when you are doing a lot of intensive training, so more two-hour sessions, most days of the week, then yes, there's a benefit to having a bedtime snack that has both protein and carbohydrates for a couple of reasons. Generally, when you're sleeping is really one of your body's primary recovery times. So growth hormone is produced when you're sleeping. And then there, it's also sort of this memory maker for your brain. So you're remembering the training for the day and then other things that happen during the day. So when we do a dairy protein, it has casein in it. And this casein is sort of a slow release protein and it works really well while you're sleeping. And so doing a dairy-based snack at bedtime, like yogurt and granola, cheese and crackers, a smoothie would be fantastic for that recovery. So shooting for about 0.3 grams per kilogram. So you take your body weight, divide it by 2.2 and then multiply it by 0.3. So it's probably around 20 to 30 grams of protein at bedtime. Cottage cheese would be good because you can get a higher protein in a lower volume and do that with like fruit. Yes, please do that before bed. It's one of the key recovery times, actually. I had no idea. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. The other piece for recovery is the sleep. So you have to have a decent amount of hours where you are sleeping. So Ideally, more than seven, especially for our teens, like nine to 10. Yes, please. I had a client where we met, his sleep quality wasn't great. I was like, if you really want to see these gains, all this work you're putting in in the weight room and in the gym, if you really want to see those gains, you need to work on your sleep. He said he went home, he increased his time of sleep. He's like, it made so much difference. Wonderful. That's great. Some people will decide, oh, I got to get up in the morning and work out. If they feel like they're not recovered at that point, they're better off just sleeping in and then training or working out as soon as their body feels ready. 
yeah, I think that's very appropriate. Yeah. Listening to your body. And if it is feeling very fatigued, then give it a little bit more rest time. Yeah. Some people just force it and just get up. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's sort of a balance between, do you really need the extra sleep or is it more of a delay tactic? But I, that's something that you would know, but it is good to listen to your body as athletes. Sometimes we push too much. So listening is a good idea, especially as you get older because (laughs) you don't bounce back as quickly. And so you need to be much more careful. So just trying to find that balance of not trying to procrastinate, but at the same time, knowing when your body just needs a break. Yeah, exactly. All right. My question is way less involved, but (laughs) I don't typically drink a lot of milk, but if I do drink milk, it's chocolate milk. So my question is, is chocolate milk actually a good post-workout snack? Yes, it is beautiful for post-workout. So why is it so great for post-workout? I can remember the first race I went to and they had chocolate milk afterwards. And I was like, that is so gross. I am not (laughs) drinking milk when I get done running. But then I had it and I was like, this is amazing (laughs) because it's delicious, right? It's chocolate and it's cold and it was thick. It was kind of like a milkshake. So the reason it works well is you're getting fluids, you're getting protein. And because it's flavored milk, whether it's chocolate or strawberry or vanilla, you have extra carbs. So we talked about for recovery, you need the protein and then you need twice or three times as amount for carbs. So that's Mm -hmm. why those flavored milks are so ideal. So 16 ounces of chocolate milk afterwards, really perfect. If you're a bigger person, then you may need 20, 25 ounces and that could be a lot. So then you would add a banana to it or something like that. Does that ring true for all of these alternate milks too, like oat milk and almond milk and things? No. So the only milks that have the same protein content as cow's milk are soy or perhaps pea milk, P-E-A milk. But the almond, oat, cashew, they have maybe one gram of protein, maybe two per eight ounce serving. So those are not equivalent. If you wanted to utilize those, you'd probably need to put a scoop of protein powder in with it. Gotcha. Good to know. The other piece I want to say about chocolate milk too, is we think about with recovery, we talked about electrolytes at wedding, you're losing sodium, potassium. Milk has the sodium, the potassium. It also has the calcium, which is really important. And so just a plug for calcium, trying to get three servings, whether that's dairy or something that has a calcium source to it a day is protective for your bones, your teeth. Awesome. I would not have known that. I mean, it just isn't in my brain to think that milk has electrolytes because to me that's Gatorade only, Powerade only. (laughs) Right. Yes. As we talk about electrolytes, there are some sports drinks that are more high potassium where they have Mm -hmm. like a coconut base. We don't lose a ton of potassium when we exercise. We lose a ton of sodium And so when you're choosing a sports drink during or after exercise, make sure that it has sodium as the primary electrolyte and not potassium. Gotcha. So like a Gatorade, Powerade, there's others that are super popular, but I wouldn't recommend those during or after exercise. Well, thanks. That really did satisfy the nerdy side of me and also (laughs) for chocolate milk specifically. (laughs) Yes. Enjoy. It's perfect for right after. Oh, so one other thing, often when I'm working with endurance athletes, they're doing long training sessions, maybe a couple hours, 
three hours, four hours, when you get done, your gut is not typically hungry. And so drinking something to start that recovery process is good. And then doing a meal within a couple hours continues that recovery so that you're not starving the next day. Yeah. I remember I ran the marathon a few years ago and I, my parents like, we'll take you anywhere you out one for lunch. I'm like, honestly, I'm not that hungry right now. Like, I don't right. know what's <laughs> right. going on. Yeah. Cause all the blood flow is diverted from your gut to like your muscle, like your legs and your arms. And so it takes a while to re-equilibrate the gut. Yeah. My central nervous system was shot that day. Even picking up the TV <laughs> remote after it just felt exhausting. Yes. So one of the things I love to do, especially for those longer distances, just helping athletes figure out what to eat before, how to fuel during, especially if it's long, like how often, what types of sports foods are you going to do, and then that recovery afterwards. Yeah, because it can be hard, especially if you have to go from your long distance run to your work or doing other chores around the house. It can be very just hard mentally to get through it. Yes, yes. So ideally... There isn't a wall that you hit in the marathon or the half because when you hit that wall, it's more low blood sugar that's happening. So if you're fueling appropriately, there shouldn't be a wall. Yeah, I think, I've, I mean, again, I'm not a runner, but I've known people who run and they used to carry almost like little ketchup packets full of, it was like a sugary gel. Yes, yes. And so I've known quite a few people, even people who do really long cycling races will, will carry those as well, just to give themselves some carbohydrates for their muscles and keep their blood sugar regulated. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Generally, the recommendation is for like an hour to two hours, you're doing 30-ish grams of carbs an hour. If you're going for two hours the three hours, then you're doing around 60 grams of carbs. And over three hours, you're doing around 90 grams of carbs. Thank you so much for your time, Dawn. We really appreciate it. I feel like I could talk to you all, all day about this stuff. <laughs> Honestly, what are you doing the rest of the day? Because I'll <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I loved talking with you. And I could also talk about these things for quite a while. My biggest takeaway from this discussion is that our bodies need fuel to perform the best they can, not only in our workouts, but also in every aspect of our day. You might be like me and want a full meal before you work out, or maybe you're like Aaron and feel better with just a little juice. The key is finding foods that make your body feel and perform its best. We hope you found this episode as helpful as we did. Okay, everyone, it is time for our listener question. If you want your question featured, be sure to fill out the survey at the end of the episode. So today's question, what is one healthy habit you can't live without? Erin? Hmm. I think my one healthy habit that I can't live without is more of a mental healthy habit. And that is that every Friday morning on my way to work, because I open on Fridays, I stop at Dunkin' for an iced coffee and a breakfast sandwich, and it just makes my day better because I look forward to it. Like, I go to bed on Thursday, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I get a nice coffee and a sandwich tomorrow morning. <laughs> what about you? What's one for you? Yeah, for me, I eat some form of breakfast every morning, and I know some people can run off no food, but that's the great thing about today's episode is some people both fuel off different foods. So for me, I need to have breakfast every morning. So I like to have, my favorite right now is oatmeal and I'll usually throw in blueberries 
raspberries. Just try to get some antioxidants in there before the workday gets going. Nice. I feel like you've always been, as long as I've worked with you, a oatmeal fan. Huge oatmeal fan. I've been eating a lot of eggs lately too, so that's been coming a favorite. But usually I'm pretty lazy in the morning and I'll usually have eggs during the weekend where I have more time to make it and then just stick with oatmeal throughout the week. Well, it's funny that both of ours were breakfast related. Yeah, I wanted to tie it a little bit in today's episode. So that's kind of where the thought process was with that. Nice. Yeah, well, that is the listener question. Again, just be sure to fill out the survey if you guys want your question featured in the episode. But until next time, stay healthy.